For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to SteelDealers.com. Now... Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. Over to the early fishing desk, and we're not talking about being out on the water by 5 a.m. A team of German and Israeli scientists recently published conclusive evidence that human beings were fishing with hook and line at least 12,000 years ago. 19 bonefish hooks were recovered at a human settlement on Hula Lake in modern-day Israel, along with six grooved stones that the scientists believed were used as sinkers. Many anthropologists had believed that almost all groups without industrial production only used bow and arrows and spears to fish, or passive strategies like basket traps or weirs. You know, a weir is a structure of stones or posts across the flow of a river that divert fish into a holding area where you can easily get to them. Fish in a barrel type situation. Fish hooks at archaeological sites have been rare or non-existent before now, but the biggest problem of studying ancient tools is the fact that they were almost all made of materials that decompose, so saying for sure that ancient people did or didn't have a certain kind of tool is extremely difficult, something we are constantly reminded of with the march of technological advancements discovered surrounding Neanderthal. However, in this case, the ideal preservation of the hula site and the large number of hooks suggest that this technology was widespread in the region at this time, not just unique to this site and these people. These hooks are beautifully made. You can see the love, or maybe hunger, that went into carving them. Each one is a different shape and size, clearly designed for very specific species and conditions. In fact, fish remains from the same site show that people were eating species that are smaller than your hand, along with giant carp over six and a half feet long, proving that nothing was ever as simple as a tenkara rod. 
A few of the hooks have features that are pretty unfamiliar even to the modern angler. For instance, a couple specimens have a barb not just at the point of the hook, but also on the outside throat where the hook begins to curve back towards the shaft. That'd be like the bottom end of the J. In theory, that second barb is there to obstruct the rotation of the hook and keep it in if you're not like there to physically set the hook. It's like once a fish eats it, it's a set it and forget it hook. How's that? Again, these hooks are made from carved animal bone or boar teeth, not your high tensile carbon steel. Imagine the finesse it takes to be able to set a bone hook to feel how to apply pressure at just the right speed so that a sudden jerk doesn't break the line or the hook, knowing that if you break a hook, you have to sit and carve another. Because the bone hooks weren't strong enough to have eyes for line to tie into, they instead have grooves and bulges for the line to wrap around, and the researchers even found traces of glue used to keep line attached. The scientists found plant fiber residue on the bends of the hooks, leading the team to believe that these anglers were using artificial lures. They may have even been able to put your fly tying to shame. It does my heart good to know that the arms race around fish started so long ago. Next time someone says to me, my god you have a lot of stuff, I'll be like, bro, you don't have a clue how far we've come or just how refined my pile is. Took 12,000 years of research and development to get here, and proud of it. This week, we've got poachers, living bee fences, grizzlies, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week is about to get interesting. I'm writing this one week in advance, so I can, you know, get out there and do some more walking around for deer and elk. A uh, big update, for those who listen and pay attention, my buddy Kyler... The dude who drew that moose tag and we spent all the time looking for moose. That guy has put in who knows how many hours in pursuit of filling this coveted tag. But at least some portion of more than 40 plus days, including two full week long hunts. He's been using horses, foot power, the Can-Am, and he finally connected with a bull. I haven't seen a picture yet. He passed up a ton of opportunities. Things started out real slow, then got real hot, and then petered out to next to nothing, not seeing any moose. But a bull that old Kai deemed acceptable finally stuck his neck out with only one week of the season left. Bull down. Congrats, buddy. Not a lot of folks have that much stick to and not a lot of people talk about the anxiety involved with drawing these highly coveted tags. And those that do talk about it, folks don't give a lot of sympathy to. Heavy is the head that uh, wears the crown, I suppose. Let me play a sad song for you on the world's smallest violin. Also, if you're listening to this, you've just survived Thanksgiving and Black Friday. And Tuesday is Giving Tuesday where you should consider taking a look at conservation organizations to donate to. There are a ton out there. There's a bunch that I highly recommend. Here in Montana, you got your Public Land and Water Access Association. That's a very small, highly efficient nonprofit that just fights the legal battles that come when people who do not think of folks other than themselves post public property and try to keep people out of it. You know who you are. You're not cool. 
the Teddy Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Pheasants Forever, great organizations that work hard on behalf of access, habitat, and wildlife. As you know, we got to sell a lot of stuff to keep this show rolling. So if you use the code CAL, that's CAL, at TheMeatEater.com, you'll get free shipping and 10% off every purchase. We'll go to Backcountry Hunters and Anglers December 6th through the 13th. A bunch of us who do this podcast thing have individual codes, and we've all selected nonprofits that we like. Collectively, we're going to kick some butt on behalf of conservation. So if you're still spending money ramping up to Christmas, do it in a way that supports everybody. Moving on to the poaching desk. An Idaho man pleaded guilty last week to two felonies related to the sale and possession of animal parts. Yan Bo Fong traveled to Montana in 2017 and 18 with the intent of purchasing 24 bear paws, 11 bear gallbladders, 7 bobcats, 3 mountain lions, 3 bears, 1 bear skin with attached feet, 2 deer, and 1 elk. In total, he was willing to spend $3,800 on the haul. Unfortunately for him, he wasn't dealing with a poacher, but with an undercover Montana game warden. Fong agreed to plead guilty to one felony count of unlawful sale of a game animal and one felony count of unlawful possession, shipping, or transportation of a game animal or fur-bearing animal. In exchange, the state will dismiss two counts of unlawful sale of a game animal and two counts of unlawful possession, shipping, or transportation. A judge still needs to issue a sentence, but prosecutors are recommending that Fong spend five years in a state prison, pay a $15,000 fine, and have his hunting, fishing, and trapping privileges revoked for six years, according to the Missoulian. Some folks might think that's a harsh penalty for wildlife violations. I'm not one of them. But if that's your frame of mind, you should know that this guy appears to have been a knowing serial offender. The Idaho State Journal reports that undercover agents told Fong that the animals were not legally hunted or tagged, and that selling the animals and parts is illegal. In other words, Fong knew he was engaged in illegal activity. He's also been charged with nearly 100 wildlife-related crimes in two additional states. In California, he's being charged with four felony counts of selling, purchasing, or possessing bear body parts, bear gallbladders, and bear paws. He's also facing 15 misdemeanor charges for importing or possessing deer, red abalone, bluefin tuna, yellowfin tuna, yellowtail, ivory, pronghorn antelope, mountain lion, bobcat, bear, bear cub, elk, goldeneye, and wild duck. Uh, Wild duck must be a catch-all phrase in this instance. And that's just in California. In Idaho, he's being charged with an astounding 75 misdemeanors in two separate cases. These charges relate to the illegal purchase of 25 bear gallbladders, one whole black bear, one bobcat, and other unspecified wildlife. You may be asking, why all the bear gallbladders? According to the LA Times, bear gallbladders are used for medicinal purposes in Asia and can be sold for upwards of $3,000 apiece. National Geographic reports that bear bile has been medically proven to dissolve gallstones and treat liver disease, but they command such a high price on the black market because they're also thought to cure a wide variety of illnesses with less scientific backing. These include everything from cancer to colds to hangovers. 
I have put myself in the pain cave more than I care to admit to, but a $3,000 hangover is a level I never reached. The bear paws and other animal parts Fong likely sold in his restaurant, the Bamboo Garden in Pocatello, Idaho. He reportedly told investigators that he offered the bear and mountain lion meat free to the tour guide and bus people, and that Chinese people like the animal meat. Fong has pleaded not guilty to the charges in California and Idaho. The Idaho State Journal reports that the case in that state may be mediated before trial. If you are waiting for any direct commentary on this particular case, wait no longer. Wildlife sales need a willing buyer and a willing seller, as I have said before. The market drives the transactions from kill to consumer, whether it be through restaurant or apothecary. If Fong's target demographic was Asian tour groups, we have to take into consideration that in some circumstances, the buyers are coming from a part of a country with active wildlife markets. They expect to find native wildlife for sale, they likely do not get a list of items not to buy while in America on vacation. If they do, it probably includes things like, um, I don't know, heroin, illicit drugs, things of that nature. I really don't know, but I'm sure it does not say, ask at every meal how the animal was sourced. If it is actual wildlife, do not buy it and call the game warden. Some things just don't translate. In order to stop the demand, the opportunity that Fong and others are exploiting, it would be a great idea to contact the tour groups directly, get some additional educational policies in place, maybe a nice little e-read about the overhunting and exploitation of wildlife in America that led to the Lacey Act of 1900, our first federal law aimed at the protection of wildlife. Under the Lacey Act, it is unlawful to import, export, sell, acquire, or purchase fish and wildlife or plants that are taken, possessed, transported, or sold, either in violation of U.S. or Indian law, or in interstate or foreign commerce involving any fish, wildlife, or plants taken, possessed, or sold in violation of state or foreign law. I'm not making excuses for anyone. I'm just saying when you are traveling out of country or even out of state, Things get confusing, especially when stops along the Yellowstone tour are literally covered in animal parts for sale. Antlers, hides, skulls, etc. And here's a quick side note for you. The first time I was ever paid for an animal part, a neighbor of my grandparents gave me $5 for a mule deer shed I found. Ever since then, I picked up antlers and had quite a few years where my income was boosted by an extra 1000 bucks or so. All that sweet under-the-table cash. I cut them into dog chews these days. Anyway, we all know that people in large groups are subject to groupthink. They follow along and are just not all that smart as herd animals. So the tour bus drops you at Fong's restaurant, you eat what is provided, and don't think twice about it, even if you know better. Because, hey, you've been eating trout, elk, and bison from park concessionaires your whole trip. But... Who does know better? For certain, it's Fong, and he deserves some time in the pokey to think about his actions, and whoever is working with these tour groups needs to make sure that game laws are properly communicated. I have a hard time believing that Fong just asked anyone who looked Chinese if they wanted gallbladder. You know, because he just happened to have some on hand. 
doesn't work that way. Bad things happen when we mix wildlife and the open market. I guess in this case, the black market. Supply, demand, and the hunt for the highest bidder. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild access deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA and they can commercially sell axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt axis, I did not kill one, which is where Maui Nui Venison would come in very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick that is as close to getting your own as you can get, which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Moving on, but sticking with bears, Grizzly 399, the Jackson Hole cover girl of sorts, Easy breezy, beautiful. Has started getting into more and more trouble out in Wyoming. Since the summer, 399 and her four cubs have spent more time outside of Grand Teton National Park than inside it, migrating further south than ever before through several populated areas. This has led to almost continuous conflict with humans. Mama and kiddos have destroyed five apiaries, which are, uh, you know, the fancy Jackson Hole way of saying a beehive raided livestock feed at least five times, and hit garbage and compost piles in between. We have reported on 399 several times, noting that until now, she has been miraculously good at living close to humans while avoiding conflict with them. 
threading her way through traffic jams, looking both ways before crossing roads, and largely avoiding destructive behavior. Biologists suspect that this has partly been a strategy to discourage male grizzlies from pursuing her and killing her cubs. And, in some ways, that has worked. So far, she has 16 cubs and grand cubs to show for it. Another quick side note for you. I once walked into a full-blown elk rut fest in Idaho. Bulls bugling everywhere, chasing cows. The bulls were responsive to every bugle and cow sound that I made, but would not come to the call and get within bow range. Until I put on my big boy pants and started making big boy bugles. Then the bulls went quiet, but a very tired cow, a cow who had been chased all over hell and gone by a bull, turned and ran right to me. I swear she stopped in front of me and said, get this guy off my butt, will ya? And I did. Real long-winded way of saying, I believe that life on the urban interface could very well be a strategy for mom to help those cubs survive because the boars don't want to come in there and get whacked by a truck or, you know, taken out for other conflict reasons. Anyway, this people-centric strategy of 399 has come at a cost regardless. At least three of her cubs have been killed due to human conflict, and this recent spree has park officials going to extreme lengths to prevent a similar outcome for her. Several times this month, the five bears have been hazed with non-lethal cracker shells, and U.S. Fish and Wildlife recently collared two of the cubs so that the group is easier to track. Hillary Cooley, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Grizzly Bear Recovery Coordinator, said the tracking would help the service stay one step ahead. She said, and quote, It would be very problematic if 399, a famous bear with her four yearlings, start breaking into buildings. We can't let it get there. Last year, they didn't den till January. We are committed to trying everything we can to get them there safely. The longer 399 and her cubs spend around people, getting easy calories from beehives and garbage cans, the harder it is to ever get them back to the hard work of elk, berries, moths, beetles, and the rest of the conflict-free diet. Dan Thompson, head of Wyoming Game and Fish's large carnivore division, told the AP... She's teaching four 200-pound bears that this is how you get food. We'll be busy with them next spring, I guarantee it. That will be especially true when the Cubs leave 399's side and strike out on their own. I don't enjoy saying what I'm about to say, but I wonder if it will take the death, the public death, of Grizzly 399, a, quote, famous bear, for things around the GYE to actually change. And by things, I mean human behavior. I remember a great conversation, which may have been fueled by a few beers that took place maybe five, six years ago with wildlife professionals around Jackson. My favorite quote from this evening, kids, cover your ears, Cal, these bears around here are habituated as shit, end quote. According to the Jackson Hole News and Guide, apiaries, remember that fancy word for beehive, in Teton County are not legally required to install bear protection no word on what chicken coops are required to do, and livestock operations aren't required to lock up feed. There are officially established bear conflict zones in the county that require bear-proof garbage cans and bird feeders, but those rules have never been enforced because county personnel are spread thin. Several years ago, an advisory board formed by Teton County urged lawmakers to get on it. 
make garbage storage statutes apply countywide, and pass new regulation governing pet and livestock feed, beehives, chicken coops, and other bear buffets. But those recommendations were never made into law, and although commissioners are reportedly reconsidering the measures, it's still status quo. And let's not forget the lady in the Solitude subdivision who couldn't be penalized for feeding bears molasses and grain out of tree stumps because she said she was feeding moose, which is legal. Would that particular statute remain on the books if Famous Bear 399 had to be euthanized on that lady's back porch? According to Jackson Hole News and Guide, 60 grizzlies have died already this year in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. That's 60 with a 6 and a 0. As a side note, back when we thought we had a grizzly hunting season in the works, Wyoming's proposed quota was 24 bears. Idaho's was 1, and Montana likely would have been somewhere in between. As of this recording, Mama and Cubs were reportedly headed back north toward Grand Teton National Park, and biologists hope they keep going and take advantage of the leftovers from the recent elk reduction hunt there. Hopefully their diets can readjust from city grub to something more rustic. I'm glad we're talking about 399 and the danger she's in due to a history of bad human behavior, but the problem is bigger than one famous bear. Moving on. Scientists have developed living bee fences to keep a certain powerful and charismatic species out of farmers' fields. That's right, beehives strung between posts that swarm elephants trying to reach the free food. This scenario, if maybe not the animal involved, sounds familiar to you frequent Week in Review listeners. Human beings and their crops expand into animals' habitat, that species gets habituated to the easy calories, the ensuing conflict leads to animals who just want to eat, being shot, and humans then try to find an effective barrier to keep the animals out. In this case, a bee fence. Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! If you are into cartoons, old ones, you must be thinking, what about fences made of mice? Well, that's ridiculous. Rapid human population growth in sub-Saharan Africa has created more and more friction zones for people and pachyderms. On top of poaching, farmers desperate to protect their crops are an additive cause of falling elephant numbers. But even the strongest barbed wire is not going to keep two tons of elephant out. Electric fences are effective, but very hard to maintain, especially in remote areas. There had to be a better solution. In 2007, zoologist Lucy King published a study demonstrating that elephants show a strong and consistent aversion to bees. Bees have been known to sting elephants around the eyes, behind the ears, and even inside the mouth and trunk. I don't even have a trunk, but it sounds horrible. One time I drank a bee that had slipped in my pop can as a kid, and I'll tell you that left an impression. King and her colleagues at the nonprofit Save the Elephants decided to try connecting a series of beehives between posts around an agricultural field, and sure enough, the elephants headed toward the crops, hit the wires, stirred up the swarm, and fled almost immediately. Save the Elephants quickly rolled out a bee fence program across Africa and India, and there are now almost 10,000 bee fence systems in place. In 2017, King showed that bee fences installed at 10 farms close to elephant habitat in Kenya deterred elephants 80% of the time. 
In order to extend the range of the barriers, decoy hives, minus the bees, were also hung in between the real ones. Of course, much like three-strand barbed wire, a living fence of bees isn't entirely foolproof, believe it or not. The honey inside the hives sometimes gets raided by hungry baboons and badgers, if not adequately protected. Dry weather can cause bees to migrate away from the farms to forests with more vegetation, and droughts can wipe out entire hives. In response, scientists are experimenting with speakers that play recordings of swarming bees, and farmers are also planting crops that elephants turn up their noses at, including chilies, turmeric, ginger, and onions. Which, as I'm listening, sounds like the exact type of farm I'd raid. It's like a darn good curry in the ground. What deters one animal attracts another. The bee fences also have more advantages than just elephant deterrence. The resulting honey provides another income source for farmers. Anyway, that's the buzz on that one. If only it worked on grizzlies or even elk here in Montana. Staying at the pachyderm desk, a recent study in the journal Science showed that intensive ivory poaching in Mozambique from the 70s through the 90s led to the evolution of more elephants without tusks. Now, if you thought that only male elephants had tusks, this is in fact about the ladies. It was the females of this particular population who evolved increased tusklessness. Try saying that three times fast. Tusklessness. Anyway... This Mozambique herd took such a hit because ivory was used to raise funds for the country's civil war, and when elephants were studied before the war, under 19% of females reached maturity without developing tusks. There have been 91 female elephants born since the civil war, and widespread poaching has stopped in the area. However, in that group, a full 33% don't have tusks. This effect of human hunting activity on natural selection has also played out closer to home. A 2003 study published in the journal Nature demonstrated a decline in the horn size of bighorn sheep in Alberta, Canada over a 30-year period as a result of hunting consistently removing the rams with the largest headgear before their prime breeding years. Even Charles Darwin, Mr. Natural Selection himself, commented on this dynamic, observing that hunters in Scotland had a bad habit of, quote, steadily killing the finest stags, thus causing the whole race to degenerate. If you are up in your tree stand right now listening to this and biting your lip about taking that 16-pointer, you shouldn't worry. A species has to pass through an extremely narrow population bottleneck with a very clear selection pressure to see such an effect, and good wildlife management exists to mitigate such effects. The Mozambique elephants went from a population of 2,500 pre-Civil War to just 200 by the early 2000s, and not having tusks was, in this case, a very good survival strategy. Now, I don't want to end on a bad note here, so I'm going to give you some hot elephant tusk tips. You may think that your teeth bear no resemblance to elephant tusks, and really they don't, but tusks are just massive incisors. If you feel your incisors with your tongue right now, you'll see they're a little longer than the teeth on either side of them. The longest elephant tusk ever recorded was almost 11 and a half feet long. Now, the Guinness Book of World Records has recognized a dentist from Offenbach 
for pulling a 37 millimeter tooth out of the mouth of a patient who had complained about severe pain. That's an incisor about, yeah, we'll say one and a half inches long. The heaviest elephant tusk was 264.5 pounds. The heaviest elephant ever recorded was 26,455 pounds. That's about 193 average-sized humans. Or, you know, three blue whale tongues. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. As per usual, if you need some help cleaning up the yard or getting a tree out of the driveway, go to www.steeldealers.com and find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They'll get you set up with what you need and you won't go home with what you don't need. Also, please write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askcal at themeateater.com and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.